lot of people are saying we are uh, one of the top new podcasts of 2017. Like, uh, what kind of people are you talking about? Who said that? Me. Just now. I like that. The Pony Hour. Another episode. Well, you might be thinking, Tony, what'd you do? Did you book another UFC fighter? Or perhaps the voice of the UFC, Bruce Buffer? Are you doing repeat episodes? No. Are we recording? Yes, we are. No. This week... I'm bringing in a fighter of a different kind, a fighter of the type of fight that I understand, that I live, that I breathe, a guy who grinds and loves what he does, so he works hard at it. This is comedian, roaster, great human being, Frank Castillo, joining us live in studio here today. Hi, Frank. How's it going? What's up, Tony? Good to see you. Life is good. Um, I'm excited about this. Welcome to the Pony Hour. Available on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, and uh, the Laughable app, which we're featured on today. That's an interesting thing where you can find all your favorite comedians on one cool app. Frank, you have a podcast. What's that called? Uh, I haven't named it yet. Still just uh, you know putting episodes in the bank. But I'm also part of Verbal Violence yes. that I co-host with Brian Moses and Coach T. Which is a podcast that covers the roast battle, which is a very prominent show that takes place here at the Comedy Store on every Tuesday at midnight. It's grown and uh, it's almost at four years of being a show. And... It became a television show on Comedy Central, which either you know about or you don't know about. But if you don't know, now you know. And that's important because it's an awesome show that gets to feature uh, comedians going up against each other, making fun of one another. And Frank just won the most recent season, season two, uh, the biggest season of Roast Battle. You're the defending champion. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. And your life changed immediately. 100% it changed. You're still a door guy at the comedy store, a job in which I have had in the past, which Ari Manis, who is our favorite person here. Hi, Ari. Hello, hello. Yes, I also have had that job. You still don't, you don't work the door now? I don't. Now I just do the podcast stuff. Ooh, I love that. When did you stop uh, working shifts here? I think it's been, it's probably been six months or so. I just couldn't take it anymore. I well, mean, it, it was a great opportunity. There were things I loved about it. You get to meet cool people, watch comedy, but... How long did you work here for? A year and nine months. That was it. And, and you I said, said, I can't deal with I it I can't anymore. deal with it anymore. I reached out to Adam and I said, hey, would you be disappointed in me if I didn't wasn't a door guy anymore? He yeah. said, no. And I said, is it cool if I still run the podcast studio and still get spots? And he said, that's fine with me. Interesting. What was it about working at the comedy store that you couldn't deal with anymore? You know what it is? Huh? Working at the comedy store is like going to a strip club. You just get rock hard and you want to fuck. And that fucking in this place is going on stage. But when you're working most of the time, sometimes the producers will throw you up, Mm -hmm. but most of the time you're just watching. And I leave here just like, I want to do that, which is good. It's a motivator. But when I'm not working here, I can go do it, whether it be here or somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So I just did it so I could do more stand up. That's That's why I left. That's an interesting, interesting thing. And I guess that like running podcasts back in the day wasn't a gig that was. This was a job I created for myself. I got very lucky. It's what you have to do. That's literally what this whole place is about is creating a job for yourself. Exactly. And on that point, since we're all either former or current, Frank, you still work here. Yeah, I still work here. And then I also still work uh, the roast battle, checking people in, seating people. 
making sure all the VIPs get where they're supposed to Which go. Which I think is silly, by the way. I yeah. think it's time <laughs> to hang up the clipboard. I told you this the other day, but it's like, you know, now you're the champ. The champ. Yeah. I think he should quit both jobs. Everyone keeps telling me that, but this is why I think it's such a smart idea. to. How keep long have you job. worked here now? I've worked here for about uh, three, hitting three years. Right. I think I worked here for, I think it was uh, three and a half, four years mm-hmm. until, and I was doing other things while working here. But um, that's how long I, I I went for because at the time you sort of had to either quit or get fired mm-hmm. to. Um, well, yeah, technically I got fired, but you you. Oh, you, I didn't know that. I want to hear like that quit, story. Get fired. It all depends on wh- how nitpicky they want to be. I want to hear the story of how you got fired. I just missed a shift. Oh, that was it. It was okay. a scheduling mishap, and uh, they called me, and they're like, you know, the manager's like, dude, where are you? And I'm like, uh, I'm at uh, where was I? I don't know. It was somewhere. Like where are and I'm like all right I'll get there and they're like you know what don't bother, you know you're fired, and they're like I'm like what okay whatever like I it sort of didn't uh, yeah didn't affect me until they told me that they weren't gonna let me go on stage because it seemed like I didn't take my job suit even though I was I I basically I was here at a time where there was only a few employees it was a very strange dark time for years and the employees that were here were all much. Older and sort of very bitter, very, very, very bitter. And there wasn't any positivity. And speaking of creating a job, an interesting thing, and then we're going to get back to what you were just talking about. Hold that thought. Because I wanted to mention, in case you don't know, everybody who does work at the comedy store, in order to get a job here, IDing people or working in the parking lot or tearing tickets, seating people, whatever it is, you have to be... according to the talent coordinators here, and it's always been this way, or Mitzi Shore herself back in the day, you had to be one of the top, you know, promising. There had to be something there in which you fit into the place, but you're definitely one of the harder working comedians. A lot of people spend years getting started at other places in order to come here to try to have that same path. Greats that have worked here, Letterman, Jim Carrey, Sam Kennison, there's pictures of all these guys wearing the exact same, pretty much the exact same shirt, in uniform that uh, that the guys wear here now, and if you look at those pictures, it's almost eerie because like you can picture your buddies' heads where they are, and like that group of friends back then. Especially if you read the old books, like I'm dying up here, and so many other great, you know, cool little things that mention the comedy store. The thing is really the same. It's a bunch of artists hanging out and having a place to perform, and then go up again. There's three rooms, and maybe you just did once, but maybe you're paying your dues. Everybody's at different levels. And uh, it's a really interesting system. Very comparable. Working at the comedy store to me is like, you know, it's like being a Yankee Clipper. You play, you're working your way up in a farm-built stand-up comedy system. And if you think that exists anywhere, it really doesn't. Like there's, you know, clubs around the country where maybe the owner's trying to build young people as openers and features. But there's nothing like this place, which is the true mecca in... You know, you know, anybody who lives and breathes comedy knows about the comedy store very, very, very early on. It's a thing that's instilled in you because it's so cool. It's the dark L.A. Sunset Strip comedy club that everybody goes to with high expectations. And it's the one place where everybody knows anybody can pop in. The cellar sort of has that feel, but it's very much New York guys that will pop in there. Mm -hmm. It's your New York guys that, you know, perform there. But you really don't know. You can get those New York, you know, the top tippity, tippity, tippity top. If they can pop, you know, your Chris Rocks and your Louis C.K.'s and your Bill Burr's that just pop into the cellar, Jeff Ross's. The exact, I mean, these people, when they're in L.A., 
you know, that's this is where they come. This mm-hmm. is where they flourish every single time. Louis shot a special here out of nowhere. I mean, these guys are here regularly when they're in town, which is a lot. And um, the fuck was I exactly? Creating a spot. Right. And one of the things that I did when I got here was I noticed that all the a lot of these bitter old guys that were wearing the same shirt, miserable. I don't know why you want to work here. Some of them. I'm not, you know, some of them, a couple of them were really cool, you know. But again, the work ethic of the guys just wasn't there at all. Like they thought that if they were here working at night that you weren't doing a spot that night. That's how they looked at it. And I looked at it the same way, much like what you're saying. And a lot of people don't know this, and I don't ever really brag about this, but I'm going to take a moment on the pony hour here to mm-hmm. toot my own horn because I started doing a thing when there was no employee other spots other than the open mic on Sundays and Mondays. I started doing a thing where when I was working on Tuesdays through Saturdays, because you you're given a spot if you're an employee here on the open mic night after the open mic, that's when you take your chances, you work out your stuff, but at the same time, try to kill to keep your you know peers and everybody happy. But it's also a true balance of mm-hmm. trying to kill, trying to, but also you have to fucking test out new stuff because that's how you figure out what works and what doesn't, what gets cut out and what stays in. It's all part of the magician part of being a comedian. Um, and so those nights, I'm like, fuck, well, if I'm stuck here, but it's also great working, you know, because you get to maintain and work on your relationships with older, great comedians. Mm-hmm. That's, That's one of the important. real things about working here. You're like, wow, is the room that powerful where these young comedians go there just to, you know, work on it and get good? Well, there's other parts of working at the comedy store, too, because great comics recognize you know uh talent sometimes it's a little credit it's a baby credit when you get a job working at the comedy store it's cool other comedians respect you for it that's just the way it is it's like a vetting process if i show up and talk to you know jeff ross or anyone and i'm not wearing my comedy store shirt that that would never have happened before unless he just happened to catch my set or we were just in the same social circle. Right. Which before the roast battle, which is never a thing. And they see you a lot. They see you a lot, a lot. So that's every that's that's one day out of seven a week that they see you. And it builds up and they watch you this. And maybe they just see you outside on a stool checking IDs for three or four years until it's like, oh, I finally got to see you do a set. I was walking through the room. And wow. But and what's great is is that they know you're a lifer. They know you're you're putting in the type of dues mm-hmm. when they see you working those types of spots to where uh like fuck, they're in the game. Mm-hmm. Like they ain't quitting, you know, that type of thing. So you there's these the these great relationships of peers and incredible fucking uh, you know, mentorships yeah. sort of in a way. Because the one thing that we do all have in common, or at least all the greats, I mean I mean, I'm not saying I'm great, but I mean the people that are that love comedy, love stand-up comedy. So immediately you know that you have that talking point. Yeah. It's yeah. basically you one of the only thing. things that Joe Rogan and I have in yeah. common in a weird way. I mean, we both love, you know, good food and fights and, uh, you know, but that's, uh, other than stand-up, there's not like much. That we talk about, me, Joe and I have in-depth talks about stand-up. It's incredible that after all these flights and all these things, you know, we still are always just scratching the surface on new, innovative, interesting conversation pieces because we love the game that much. Mm -hmm. And that's what the store guy does. Now, what's interesting about... Oh, so anyway, back to this thing. I created... the. I created... um, 
having spots while working here. That wasn't a mm-hmm. thing. I literally would go up to every promoter that was running shows at the time, the bringer shows or the whatever shows. Like these are people that would, you know, run shows. Maybe they have a few regulars that go on every week. It was just regular stand-up shows. Maybe it was the belly room or the main room. But I would go up to all of them. Kathy, Vargas, mm-hmm. uh, the whole different slew of other shows. I mean, when the place was running, it was also a lot of the rooms were dark. Mm-hmm. But I would go up to anybody that was running a show and I would say to them, when they pulled up in the parking lot, I'd walk up to them and go, hey, I know you're doing a show. Who's hosting tonight? You know, uh, Todd Berenger or whatever, right? And I'd go, okay, check this out. You give me a spot, five minutes. That's all I want to do, just five minutes. And check this out. I'll do it before your host goes on. What time does your show start? 9.30. Okay, let's start it at 9.25. This way, I'll just get the crowd warmed up and then your host will have at least that. And they're like, they know they're not, you know, giving the host what he deserves. It's sort of a tough job hosting Mm -hmm. that the host will probably like that. Why not start the show five minutes early? I go, the audience is going to be there anyway. Might as well just get them warmed up a little bit. I I, I can do it. I do it for other shows. How do you turn that down? Right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. Every fucking five minute spot. It took months of me saying, hey, dude, would you mind covering the back stool for five minutes real quick? And then you could sort of see the look on the comedian's face when I'd come back with fucking smile or whatever, you know. And they, they, it took them so long to pick up on what I was doing. And underneath everybody's noses, I was doing spots in, on almost every single fucking – oh, it's a fundraiser for leukemia? Let me test out this – no, by the way, I was terrible. This is when I was obviously, you know, really, really just learning things. And back then I was taking extreme chances, borderline meltdowns. I mean, I still sort of play in that realm. You know, if I'm having a bad day or a bad night, I sort of let people know about it. And, uh, you know, I I play it real. And that's because I worked that shit out in such a tough spot. Cold opening a show is hard. Oh, it's terrible. Cold opening before it's supposed to start this, that. And that's where I got super chops from. Because um, you have to learn how to get everyone's attention, you have to get everyone to like listen to you. Plus, you're getting the drink orders. You're ba- you're really like learning how to not just do jokes and be a comedy. You're learning how to be a presence in the room and right. get everyone's attention. Yeah, and be able to deal with it when it's an uneasy setting, yeah. and not just deal with it. I mean, that was just the world I was living mm-hmm. in because I was doing those spots so regularly. And then after a while. Other employees finally started doing it. You know, pretty much everybody. I was going to say that won't work now because everyone does that. Well, it does. They do. But here's my point is that I'm sort of this is what I'm talking about bragging about. I'm sort of planting a flag of that. Believe it or not, if we went back in the books and I rolled back all the video, you would see. I sort of, in my own mind, take credit for employees and other comedians getting booked on those spots midweek. Because Tommy wasn't doing Uh, that until years after Mm -hmm. I had established, two or three years after I had established. So there were no development spots? No, it wasn't a thing. I was the development spot. And crazy enough, I just got it. I would knock it out in the beginning when the crowd was its hardest. And I think that's a huge part because in that belly room, especially, it was a lot of belly room spots. So tough. And what I learned up there is that it's always better to take chances and do try to walk the line and give them something fucking different and crazy and live as fuck because... I realized that I wasn't ever really happy after 
doing good. Yeah. That wasn't enough to just do good. I, you know what it's I mean? It's not like, satisfying. If you it's do, not. It's, uh, playing it, I was talking to, I was talking to Joe about this. It was just like he's been explaining to me. He's like, you know, playing it safe isn't the funnest thing in the world. And I was like, ah, oh, you're right, because there's times where it's like you'll get in those moments where you'll be in extreme, not situations, but you'll be in a good room or a good moment, or there's a certain kind of pressure that's outside of doing well in front of the set. You know, someone's there, a celebrity or whoever. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you start doing your jokes, and even if they kill. <clears throat> If it's older jokes that you're used to doing, you know you're not excited about it. You know when you're yeah. not playing it safe. And it's like the audience can tell you're not being genuine. But it's like if and you, you could do, be killing. Yeah. With momentum just shredding. Yeah. You could be absolutely murdering from that opening spot. And afterwards, you still might not have any of that good feeling mm-hmm. of fuck. Uh, because you feel like a fraud. Meanwhile, you could, what almost seems like if you've ever seen a live show and a comedian doesn't do good. I mean, if they're utilizing it properly, sometimes those are the ones where, like, if I'm taking super chances, usually I do this on Monday nights because I go, you get pulled out of a bucket just like every other paid regular, and it could be any spot, any time, and <laughs> every time up until last night I've been committing to it. I got, like, number 32 last night, which is only good if you're, like, an entrance in the Royal Rumble. <laughs> uh, but in, <laughs> in comedy store nights, I was, you know, truly second to last and blah, 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 blah. And I laughed right before because I just couldn't fucking bear with it. I saw what was going on right before me, and it was just, ah, this is, this is enough. I'm right at that point. But, you know, that never – normally I grind it out until yeah. whatever. And my point is, is meanwhile, it could seem like you're having a meltdown for seven minutes on these Monday night sets. But if I get one 10-second super pop off of something that I didn't do, just experimenting out there, you know, in the dirt, and you find one little mm-hmm. tiny diamond that is going to carry over and be a part of either – its own huge bit or add it on to something else that you're already talking yeah. about. And I've, that's the other thing that I'm starting to realize is like when I would start doing it before I'd hit all these mics and I do, and I'd mostly do some of the same stuff or I'd kind of do new things. But now that I'm getting up in front of these big crowds and just these different crowds, just getting up all the time and it's starting to realize that it's like, you know, it's much more funner doing that, doing something new. So I'll go and I don't care if I'm bombing as long as I'm doing new stuff doesn't affect me because it's like i'm just trying to do something new like last night i said this one line after this like five minutes of me just talking basically and the one line got everyone in the room to laugh at once and i was like oh i have to this is i just wrote that line down and i was like this this is it yeah and it was just about like white guys taking uh filling in the jobs that the mexicans are gonna leave behind and it was like i wouldn't trust a white guy selling me a corn covered or a corn cob covered in mayonnaise. <laughs> it's just you know, it's just, it's just the idea of like white, like poor white guys doing all the immigrant jobs, or what we see is it was just it made me laugh, and I was like, that's so funny. Wait, do Mexicans serve corn on the cob with mayonnaise? If you go to uh, poor side, like East Side San Jose, there's uh, you know they have ice cream trucks and stuff. Well, yeah. in big Mexican neighborhoods, they'll have guys that come by and they have like these chips there, and then they put like hot sauce and stuff. And one of the things they do, it's a uh, it's a piece of corn on a cob. And they cover it in mayonnaise, put Parmesan cheese on it, Ooh. and they cover it in hot sauce. Damn. It is the fucking most delicious thing. It you've sounds ever. like perfection. Oh, it's it's amazing. I can sort of picture it. That sounds great. It's very unhealthy. Do they serve that? Then that served like what? Warm? Yeah. Wow. Man. Fuck. Mexican mayonnaise smell. on corn. I know. You would think it'd be weird, but it's so good. That's funny. White guys taking the Mexican jobs that are left behind. Mm-hmm. You know what Project Wetback is? What's that? 
<laughs> Are you ready for this? This no. is going to sound like a joke. Project Wetback was put in place by... Uh, God, do we have internet down here? Which president was it? I think it was Roosevelt or uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. Project Wetback. I just read about this. I want to make sure I get the president right. Yeah, he uh, he deserves credit for that one. What do you got? You got internet over there, Ari? Yeah, I'll look it up. Yeah. Um, so... This was a thing that was put in action from a president. And what they did was, is they said, we're going to deport all the Mexicans and we're going to deport them and we're going to come in and we're going to do it. I mean, this sounds like a joke, right? It's Operation Wetback. Yes. Was an immigration. Hold on. Wait, let's take one second here. Let me take a breath on that. It's even better. Operation <laughs> Wetback. Like, this is a real <laughs> fucking mission. Like, right? it's an operation. And I, by the way, this took me 10... Would you say Project Wetback? <laughs> yeah. Project sounds like 10 people got together and they're like, this is the project we're going to do. Like, Operation sounds like they got military <laughs> approval. Or it sounds like the worst or the terrible part of a bad neighborhood. Like, oh, you live in the projects? Which one? Wetback. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Project that's Wetback. Tough. That's a tough territory. I hear they got great corn, though. Yeah, I was just going to say, fucking dip it in mayonnaise. Um, so it's Operation Wetback, and I'm excited to talk with you about this because I, I feel like it hasn't really been... I've never... It took me 10 Reddit tangents to end up finding this thing, and when I saw legit Wikipedia on it, am I right, Ari? Or is yeah. what you're seeing sort of crazy to you right now? It's a little weird. Have it's, you ever heard of this before? I've never heard of it. I, this is it's not, if someone told me it, I, it sounds like a skit. That's like a what I'm show. saying. Yeah. Oh, and, my God. I have to hear it. What is okay, it? so check this out. First of all, let's go back to the fact. Wait, which president was it? Uh, it was during World War II. It doesn't say here. It was 1954. It was at the end of World War II, right? Yeah. Like they were getting out of a war. Mm-hmm. White Eisenhower. Oh, so they, Eisenhower. They're getting out of a war, right? They've been in war for the last, say, well, but at least 10 years, right? Whatever the fuck. Yep. Yeah. So um, there's this thing called Operation Wetback that this president comes up with. And let me ask you if this rings a bell. And what he says is, is we're going to deport a bunch of people. I'm putting it in. It's a thing. From now on, Mexicans that are illegal and that commit crimes in this country, we're coming in and we're getting you out of here. Am I close to right on what you read on this? Are yes. Okay. So what ended up happening, check this shit out. And again, mind you, nobody knows about this. I might get fucking CIA killed for this after this Um, if this thing gets released this might be my new thing that i'm gonna work on (laughs) so check this out he says that they're gonna do it he gets the media involved a little bit right so they're like the deportations have started taking place like you know just a few they only arrested a few people but the media made a thing about it and what ended up happening is millions of Illegal Mexicans and people that say, I mean, not saying that they're all bad. Oh, yeah. Right? Am I, how many? A million? About a million. Uh, it's right? not saying the numbers right here. The thing I'll that I read was 62,000, I believe. Moved back? I mean, I'll, I'll look into it more. Or is that arrested? A There's million an interest- is better. I like a million. <laughs> I think 62,000 maybe got in trouble or they actually arrested them. Oh, there we go. 1,078,000. Apprehensions made in the first year of Operation Wetback with 170,000 being rounded up from May to July of 1954. On their own, so many went back because they go, well, I don't want to 
have to sit in a cell for a few months and then get deported. I'm an illegal immigrant. I'm not, I don't belong here. I'm just going to go without them having to do anything because of how they presented it. That's hilarious. No, it was a 1 million people were apprehended by the government oh. and deported. And then over 500,000 in Texas alone, it says, just move back because oh, they were like, I don't want to wow, deal with all this. They deported a million. Wow. So they really did just come in and clean house. But it also says that they, by mistake, deported a lot of United States citizens that couldn't prove their Oof. paperwork quick That's enough. Literally <laughs> the, 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 I have, yeah. Is that, that dying and going to hell, by the way? Oh, is that yeah. what it is? I have so many bits Sorry. about it right now. Sorry, you're Mexican best. now. Yeah. I don't know anybody. I'm a white guy i don't speak any spanish i just had a tan yeah that's uh yeah that's my main arguing point when i talk about that because it's also like i i'm one of those guys that i believe you know if you do crimes and you're here illegally yeah you shouldn't fucking be here let me even try to make the better place and there's certain people that have you know what i can go on for days about it operation wetback that sounds like one of your roast battle punchlines or rebuttals like operation wetback's about to take place right now bitches and the crowd goes crazy Like I, it sounds. The nicknames for operations are the best, and it sounds like a joke. But meanwhile, if let's say, have you heard of Operation Paperclip? <laughs> no, is that a real thing? That's a real one. Can you, after after this? Ooh, uh, why why does now why do why why do I now feel like uh that feels like a racial slur now? Operation <laughs> Paperclip. I'm like trying to figure out what race that is. Like, oh, the Jews. What is that? Paperclip. I don't know. What's Operation Paperclip? Uh, it was, uh, it's, uh, operation where it was, um, right after, I can't remember. I remember it was, I read about this, but it's right after they took down the Nazis. It was when America hired all of the scientists to help build shit. Cause that's oh, from we, Germany. Yeah. yeah Cause yeah, they were the best scientists. Yeah. There was a mad grab for all the scientists. No doubt. And they were, they yeah. were absolutely freaky scientists. That's mm-hmm. why Hitler was very much anti-smoking because everybody was smoking back then. And uh, he knew ahead of he knew ahead, way ahead. He was like, that's just going to kill you. His doctors, his literally I'm pretty sure I'm close on this. His doctors, the ones that he hired or whatever, his surgeon general of Germany, the guy that he put in or whatever, was the guy that's like, oh, this smoking thing, I think, causes this cancer thing where oh. your cells turn into and they're like trying to explain it to people for the first time. It's like this. this, this I think bad. I think we'll call it cancer. You know what I mean? Like they were at the helm helm oh, of wow. fucking uh, all that stuff. So Operation Paperclip sort of makes sense. But Operation Wetback. So let me let me let, let me say this. What would happen if you found out that they just deported a million Mexicans right now? Because that happened. And that was a thing. And it's, tr- you know, with 50, Trump in power. 60 years ago. Could happen Only again. 60 years ago. Huh. So it could have been your grandma's grandma. Uh-huh. That, well, I mean, you Mexicans yeah, just yeah. have a new baby. There's a new generation every 14 years. Well, what's weird for me is like my grandfather tells me about a time when he was like, it was before, I can't remember what war it was, but he was living in Mexico and he was like, they would airdrop papers, just like flyers. And it would be like in Spanish, it'd be like, Mexicans, come help your neighbor. Enlist, we'll give you citizenship, come help build America. Whoa. And that's how he got his citizenship. He joined the Air Force, fought. And then worked on shit, and then got to come and live, move into America, move to San Jose. Wow, yeah, that's so crazy. It's really weird for him to just be watching shit, and then just see like Trump on, like, oh, we gotta get all these fucking wetbacks out of here, and he's right. just like, what? Well, how um, how long ago was that? When oh, your that dad was come here. My grand or my great grandfather. That was probably he's fucking ninety now. Ninety. 
That was 60 years ago. That'd make him 30 during Project Operation Wetpack. Am I correct? So imagine that. So imagine that. So Flyers... Wait, so he's 90. Wait, when did he come over? I'll have to figure it out. He's about 90 now. So he probably came over what? If he fought in the, he fought in the Air Force? He was in the Air Force. So he was probably in the Air Force and was anywhere from 18 to 23. Wow. That's uh, amazing. So yeah. if he brought somebody with him, well, he's probably protected because he was in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. So everything probably switched over for him and his family immediately. Yeah. No, it was just for him. So and then I think that's when he met. But also imagine <laughs> that you get back from the Air Force and you come back home. You have a few Mexican friends you have in town just got deported. That's hilarious. Where did where, what? <laughs> I fought for this country. Uh, he uh, <laughs> he uh, uh, he was like the uh, underground Mexican railroad for a while. He ha- he owned his own printing business, like printing company in San Jose, and he would uh, illegal immigrants would come and he would give them jobs and he'd get them work visas. Wow. He was like the opposite of a coyote. Oh, yeah. that's so cool. So growing up, I remember growing up, my grandpa would always be like, oh, this is your uncle. Oh, this is your uncle. And I remember just growing up and just be like, oh, what happened to Uncle, you know, what happened to fucking Uncle Enrique? And they're just like, that's not your uncle. I'm just like, what? What? Oh, shit. And then like it all made sense after a while. Wow. Yeah. I love that. So you made it. You're a citizen of the country. And um, Project Wep- or Operation Wetback we talked about. That was actually, Project Wetback was the name of my grandfather's project. Ah, yeah. We'll be wet back after these <laughs> messages. Um, but now, so let's talk about this uh, big switch. Now, an interesting thing, Frank, on top of uh, being one of the new, I mean, the new roast battle defending reigning mm-hmm. champion. You are also, in this exciting world, one of the very top and it appears next, you know, in the Rogan regime. You're doing the Ice House mm-hmm. gigs now with us. You're, you've performed on the road with Joe, right? Where'd mm-hmm. you guys go? Went to Oxnard and Loved You Live. That's so awesome. Yeah, that was amazing. And it's big, sold-out, super fun crowds. It's crazy. Just to see how fun they are. Like, all of Rogan's crowds are amazing. They're fun. They get it. They love comedy. And it's like... The fr- I'm just now getting comfortable with how free you can be. Because, I mean, I was telling him, it's like when you go on the road with other people, you're so stuck in these confined ways of thinking. You mm-hmm. know? Whereas he, he wants you to go up there without any weapons. He wants you to take risks and try yeah. and shit. He, doesn't, he just wants to see you progress and do better. And there's all of that plus the audience itself. You would almost think... Like, wow, Joe Rogan, he's, you know, Fear Factor, UFC. Like, if you don't know how great of a, if you don't listen to the podcast, which is where almost everybody's coming from, mm-hmm. and that's what it is. So you might think that his audience would be, because he's muscular and shaved head and a tough guy, you would think it would be, like, over the top a lot of that, mm-hmm. to where it's actually some of the smartest crowds mm-hmm. that know how to listen because they're addicted to podcasts, which yeah. makes complete sense. And it's the smartest people because who's watching TV with commercials? I mean, when you could be engaged in a very awesome, educational, enlightening yeah. conversation. So these people are literally without even any training an unbelievable audience because yeah. that's how they got there in the first place was listening to cool fun three hour long fucking podcasts yeah, so man. they're automatically good listeners they're automatically well behaved because they're sort of like more into you know the um what's the word fucking you know like philosophy and shit yeah. like just smart stuff so 
it's this super cool, smart, listening, positive crowd. And if you're part of Rogan's thing, then you're, I mean, if you're on the show, then you're already in with them because they're like, wow, this guy must be cool as fuck. Yeah, it's crazy just being under that umbrella now. Like, I'm still realizing all the things that comes with it. Like, I mean, I was talking to him today about it. Like, I had gotten to do a one-nighter in Fresno, and I, I tweeted about it. All right, Instagrammed it, and three people showed up just in the middle of nowhere in Fresno. Yeah. And they were just like, one. there was a couple that was just like, me and my girlfriend were eating at the restaurant right next door, and we just came over, and I was like, that's insane. Yeah. it's It just, but it, that makes me want to work harder because it makes me want to write more it makes me want to you know really be it put me in a spot of where it's like yeah this is real now this is the thing you've wanted now it's here now you got to keep doing it exactly and it's an absolute blast it's so much fun and that thing that starts you know by tweeting and having a couple people come to fresno is exactly those are the types of things that you look back on as the sparking point Like, I remember when nobody used to come up to me on the front patio here at the comedy store, Mm -hmm. ever, because I was just some guy, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And to get to watch that completely change from once a month to, you know, it's it's craziness now. And to get to see, you know, Kill Tony fill up every Monday and just be crazy and fun. And um, the growth is such an awesome part. And you're right in the center heart of that. You know, that Rogan umbrella also, it's like something I never really quite get over is it's just the coolest fucking comedians, the actual people that are really, um, really, really doing it in a special way. You know, Ari Shafir, Joey Diaz. These guys are all everybody's a headliner. Rogan's like uh, Rogan's like Jay-Z. He's he's made more millionaires than the lottery. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Well, it's unbelievable because it's such there's not there's nothing like that in all the stand-up mm-hmm. comedy you know a lot of uh, a lot of some of the greats don't necessarily take strong openers with them no. i'm not going to name any names but you could probably almost i mean i'm just saying people like i mean you go out there you'll notice like oh wow I, i'm surprised that so and so couldn't find somebody better than that to kick off their show you know Whereas with Rogan, he's the only guy out there that takes just only headliners, Mm -hmm. just beasts of nature. Nobody in their right minds, unless you're a freak, only out to give the best possible show and to get very much better in front of your crowd. Who the fuck hires for a great amount of money, I'm sure, even though though they're friends? Who would bring Joey Diaz to go up before you? That's freaky. He's literally the fucking best. And Joe would Joe agrees on this. He's the best comedian. He's the funniest fucking guy. He's the coolest guy. Mm-hmm. He's the best. He's the most fun to watch. To follow that is just insane. He's taking him on the road with him. It doesn't make it it's the the most beautiful thing. It shows you Rogan's need to always push himself and absolutely try to get better yeah. and you don't see that a lot no it's such an exclusive fucking group of beasts and that's why you know in my opinion and i think joe would probably agree with this i feel like every special he does is better than the mm-hmm. next one that last one was just hot fucking gas and i was i toured around the world with him while he was 
putting it together and working on it and to get to watch it, to get to see it. I mean, it's just hot gas from the very beginning and he never lets his foot off the pedal. Yeah. And, and going back to wor- the privilege of working here is like, I got to work the green room on all of those nights that he was working that out. So I got to see him and I got to, would, I would be able to make my comments to him be like, Hey, that was great. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, I noticed you did this different or blah, blah, blah. Like it never, ever like, I would never, ever like, Give him tags because it's one of those things where it's like, dude, that's rogue. You know, I can right. have, but I would always tell him if he did something different or like he'd be like, hey, you did this that I noticed you didn't do last time. And then yeah. like, oh, all right, cool. And then like, you know, it's, you know, it's just cool to be a part of it and watch him do that. And just to, it's just special to watch him build that. It was just so fun. It's crazy. a very, it's a very freaky regime because mm-hmm. everybody that, uh, that works with him works forever. Mm-hmm. And so now on top of your roast battle thing, it appears as if though you're the new, uh, one of the new Rogan guys. Yeah. So that's a really big deal. You did his podcast. Mm-hmm. How'd that go? Was that, that was fun? crazy cool. It was a lot of fun. We got really high. Uh, I didn't want to um, lead the conversation anyway. Obviously, you know. But uh, I just, you know, I just did. I listened. You know, I just answered his questions. It was great. It was just so much fun. We learned about space. I got my mind rocked a few times. It yeah. Was crazy. Exactly. But you, but you didn't learn about Operation Wetback until you came here to the Pony Hour. <laughs> That's true. Pony Hour exclusive. Ari, thoughts over there? What's going on in your head? It's cool. I It's weird because, you know, just a few months ago, me and Frank were just the same guy, and now I'm watching him just explode in front of my eyes. And well, it's fun to watch. And I've seen that a few times. Like, uh, just working here, you get to see that. You get to see people, like, just poof like they get something and it's cool and it makes it very real and i think that's another part like we were talking about earlier of being an employee here at the comedy store is that you do it makes it very real yeah i I watched people get put over you know what i mean like i've seen people go from one thing to the next Mm -hmm. i remember seeing melissa via senor here i remember working the cover booth during an open mic and you know, it's a miserable job. They're the worst job here at the store is working the cover booth during the open mic because you have to keep time. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets three minutes and you have to have a stopwatch and you have to light the person at two minutes and then turn the light off at three minutes and then yeah. start the time again. So you literally have to listen to every open micer. Horrible job. Terrible gig here at the store. It's probably like the first, you know, well, they have people that do it now. But back then it was, you know, just the most mm-hmm. dreaded shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I would have to do it a lot and because I was sort of like the second cover booth guy at the time. Anyway, um, like, for example, you know, I remember Melissa Villasenor's very first time. She, it, 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 she was in the middle of the open mic lineup. Just, a, you know, you're, you're listening, but you're not really listening, blah, 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 blah. And there was just a freak. And you knew she was a freak. And we all literally, one of the things that is... really surprised me in this business as crazy as it is because you end up learning you just pay dues and pay dues and pay dues and everything takes longer and this and that but i'm still shocked at how long it took snl to find her right because i I still don't think she's that much better than she was when she got here when she got here she was a fucking star right she was a goddamn star. Yeah, her impressions Owen Wilson, have always Britney been great. Spears, yeah. her, her, she, the same exact things that Annihilate now were annihilating then. And so it's interesting because everybody's paths are so crazy different. Mm-hmm. And to see that it took that long, it almost took you know as long for Melissa to get on, which we thought was going to happen immediately. We're like, oh my God, wait till they find out about her. And it still took, what, seven, eight years. Yeah. 
And um, so there's all these different things, but getting to work here and really, and she really stood out. That's what's interesting. You know, working that cover booth, it's sort of like you heard like this voice and then time stopped and you, you peek out the curtain and you don't give a fuck when you're, you know, a year into stand up and you're sick and all these people are sort of just competition. It's like these fucking open micers coming mm-hmm. to take my spot. Mm-hmm. But, you know time sort of stops there's certain people in which you recognize it and then there's certain people in which you don't necessarily you don't notice that they're a star until it's already you know they're in a hot air balloon and they're just like later dude yeah like that yeah i feel like that's kind of how it felt like with me you know because not like willie put it best he was like you're like the most famous door guy that became a door or that got famous while being a door guy yeah and then, like, I mean, I, I don't feel like, I mean, things have changed, but I like to think that I'm still pretty much, you know, the same. I think my confidence has gotten ridiculous. Like, I'm a lot more comfortable on stage, right. and I feel like just getting a trophy has really helped. Yeah, trophies are fun. Never gotten a trophy before. Uh, really? I think I got, like, participation ones, and I was like, oh, these are fucking great. You know, and then I made this joke, and it was like, I realized the second I got one that I was like, yeah, you can't hand these out to kids. I once won a Mexican trophy. What's a Mexican trophy? It was called an uh, Oscar de la Hoya. <laughs> All right. Guys, <laughs> what are we learning here? Uh, yeah. Um, so what the fuck were we just talking about? It was... Uh, just watching people pop off. Mm-hmm. And right. It, and it's a crazy thing because you're getting to deal with it firsthand. And everybody here, you know, anyone around our age group or this place or anything... Comedy Central is a huge, you know, it's as big as it gets I in a, in a it, weird man. way. It, it, you know, it's just one of those things to where Comedy Central is what we all came up on and has always been a huge part of all of our lives. And again, just like with anything else, everybody has different paths with certain, you know, networks and this and that. But it's an amazing thing to get that. Like, it's like all of a sudden you went from being on. And I remember... Because unlike all these fucking phonies, mm-hmm. Tony was there from the beginning. Yep. And I literally remember the night that you told me that you found out that you were going to get to be on Roast Battle to get to be one of the 16 people in a huge mega tournament that Frank won. And I remember you telling me when you thought you were going to be maybe part of it. And then you I remember when you found out the news. And I remember this and that. And I also remember getting the text message. We had just walked back from the Royal Rumble Sunday night, January 20-something. And... I'm dry. I'm about. I'm, we just got in the car. I look at my phone, and a text from one of my friends said, "Frank just won," and I had the unbelievable pleasure of because we only knew the final four competitors going into that, and we had just watched the Royal Rumble, perhaps the most adrenaline-packed. I mean, we had so much fucking fun. You ever want to see energy? Watch seven comedians hanging out at the Royal Rumble. You know, a new competitor every two minutes, every, you know, there, there's a horn, a countdown and a horn and the sound goes off as silly as it is. Us old school pro wrestling fans, comedians that are making fun of the whole thing and having fun with the whole thing and getting into it. You know, we were losing our goddamn minds. But in the parking lot, as we all got into the big giant suburban, I got to turn around and go, ladies and gentlemen, your new roast battle champion. Frank Castillo and to get to hear that pop and that feeling and those chills that I felt as a friend as a supporter as a guy that always roots for the comedy store I'm so out I'm like out of control 
overly loyal and insane about yeah. this place to where probably the management and the shores probably think I'm some weirdo with some master plan or something like that. I'm the like same that. way with it, bro. <laughs> I feel like they think I'm weird for how much <laughs> I love this place. But, like, especially since you work here and the storyline of you. I remember in, in episode one they were talking, or episode two, round two, I mean, of your season, they're talking about how you had just put up the marquee. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was before the big championship showdown with the two battles and this and that. And, you know, you had a great established storyline and it worked because it was fucking true, man. Mm-hmm. You were really grinding. And that's one of the interesting things is very rarely in this fucking business, people, I cannot stress this enough, are the people that you end up seeing the correct people. I'm not saying TV execs don't have their shit together. But uh, there's some fucking issues here and there. Let's just put it that way, because we know that we know the pool of talent Mm -hmm. that exists and Mm -hmm. we know what people are getting shown. And one of the cool things about Roast Battle that I wish I would have uh, applied more to my preparations for when I did it in season one was uh, the real knowledge that with that show, you can come in and win it and you can go in and just fucking sort of do it. Like, it's just battle by battle. That's That was my whole game plan. Right. It, battle by battle. Right. And on my season, I immediately jumped ahead to round three because I thought I was going to gank this comedian, you know, the Canadian on his home turf. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, whatever. But my point is, is like, was that uh, you, are, you were able to make your own thing. It wasn't a showcase for execs or anything like that you forced your way to the forefront and that's an interesting thing that that show provides that you really don't get other places Mm -hmm. like you know so many competition shows are so produced i mean we all know this it's a crazy fucking thing i mean a lot of the shows that you're watching people you don't realize that the executive producer on that show is also a manager who represents the person that's oh, just so happens to be one of these up-and-coming people you know what i mean that's a storyline through the ranks and you're voting on what they are showing you you silly fucks mm-hmm. it's all produced the outcomes are super known Whereas a thing like Roast Battle, it's very, very hard to pull that off. Mm -hmm. Very hard to pull that off, you know. Some people complain about perhaps an inside job with, you know, Jimmy Carr or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. on season one. And, oh, you know, it's interesting. But the judges will be judges. And at the end of the day, yeah, sometimes the judges are wrong and that's Mm -hmm. crazy. But the audience knows what the fuck's up. And and a cool thing about Roast Battle is that you can clearly win your match. Oh, yeah. You can clearly win. And you definitely definitely did that. Which is so awesome. So, you know, not what's interesting is that, and you got a good payday for that too, right? Oh, did they talk? Was that crazy. a thing? Was that a thing that they promoted this time? I did, don't think they did, huh. but they gave us the breakdown, and it was literally like winning a scholarship. Yeah, because it was like uh, I'm in this great position where it's like you know, comedy wise, I can't headline, and everyone wants me to, and it's like no, I'm not going to do that. But I'm in a great position to be like, hey, let me come MC, let me feature, you know, co-headline. Like, yeah, Should try that. Not maybe, but it's like what I want to do is like I made enough to where it's like I can take these hits and then write all that shit off, right? And then just work hard and then make these relationships. So a year later, when I am ready to headline, I can right. be like, dude, give me these dates. So how long do you like want to do on the road? 
Uh, I want to do 30. That's what I'm stretching myself to do because yeah. I'm also like I have my 15 minute set, but now I'm starting to rotate shit. Like I have a new eight minutes that I wrote, right. and then it's also like it's just I'm starting to realize that I have a lot of stuff that I've written, and it's just being on stage in front of the people and having the confidence to tell it, and actually sitting down and like working hard and writing. Um, but I want to do 30 minutes on the road. That's what I want. Then my main goal is to get have a, a solid 30. Um, Ari, where are you months. at? Where I'm at, I can do 30, but I have a solid 15, 10 to 15 that I'm really proud of. Like if someone, I could do 30 and the audience would leave happy. But if, if Comedy Central said, hey, do you want to do a 30 minute special? I'd be like, no, thank you. I'm same spot. Yeah. So that's, hmm. I think I have my Conan set. Right. I think I do. Well, because I was yeah. like, all the stuff that I just written, I was like, uh, and then I, all the stuff that I've just been doing that like I had timed it out, it's like seven minutes. Yeah. And I'm just like, all right, these are the, like these, this is like, I would be happy if I went up and this was my first Conan set. Because right. it's like what I'm talking about, it's topical, it's really funny, and it comes from a good Mexican-American point of view. Huh. What's the shadiest thing that's happened to you since winning the roast battle? Like, is there been anybody who, you know, gave you like the cold shoulder before or whatever that ignored you or anything oh. like that? Has anybody like come out of the woodwork all of a sudden? Bro. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear this too. Bro, that fake yeah. love song, man. Oh, that was just singing to me. I mean, I've had um, people be mean to me. No one's been mean to me, but I did something on purpose because I'm really. Oh, I gotta hear this. I'm weird with it because it's you know I uh, I purposely asked a lot of people for to to run my set mm-hmm. you know at in different uh, shows before or after store oh day before the finals so I had mm-hmm. all my sets ready I was like hey I'm taping for Comedy Central mm-hmm. can I please just do five minutes and run these jokes yeah certain people said no just flat out some people didn't get back to me some people gave me great reasons where they're like this is my lineup and I'm like oh yeah of course I'm not gonna fucking try to bump any of these people because I, right. I who the fuck am I. Other people were like, yeah, I'll give you a spot. And those people are great. And I'll always do their shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, someone asked me to come do the spot. And then I was like, sweet. And then got there at 10. Show started at 1030. Uh, we watched the whole episode of the previous night. So it's like 11 when I get up there. And then it's like 1130. And he keeps telling me he's going to toss me up a little later. And the crowd's slowly leaving. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to bounce. And I just pieced. Mm. And he's just, he could have just tossed me up. And he didn't, which is fine. I get it. It's a show. It's all right. The finals happen. I win. Yeah, the whole thing. Whole thing. Super underdog in this thing, by the way. Win. You know, a lot of those other people that were and in that. An underdog to the people who aren't paying attention, not right. an underdog to, to those who are in it. Right. Who are watching the roast and know who's who's who. Exactly. Yeah. Like to put it in, I know that I have a lot of. This is what. This is, you know, a big part of the reason why, you know, I booked Frank to be on this show is because I know that a lot of the listeners of this are coming in as fight fans. And a very cool thing about when it comes to Frank and this roast battle appearance, let's say this big show, this roast battle is a pay-per-view, this Comedy Central show that we're talking about. But the real roast battle exists every Tuesday at midnight here at the Comedy Store. It's a running show. Twice ever they've put together, you know, a few-day taping where 16 people go up in a tournament and they, you know, they have celebrity charges, blah, 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 blah. But every Tuesday at midnight for almost four years they have this show. And in the fighting world, you know, those are your fucking real fights. You know, I mean, the two tapings that the, I mean, not even pay-per-views. Well, we can't even really call these things pay-per-views because, you know, pay-per-views are when the fighters fight on the UFC. So I guess it's just sort of a separate thing. But to put it in perspective, Frank is very much like, you know, 
we've seen wins and losses from you. Mm-hmm. That's what's important to know is you're one of the guys that we know that we're going to see a hell of a fight. Yeah. Like UFC terms, a Diaz brother or a, or a, or a fucking, I mean. It's never going to not be entertaining. A Cowboy Cerrone, a BJ Penn, a fucking, you know, a slugout is what you're always going to see with Frank. And that's why you winning this thing made a lot of sense and was super duper fucking great is because you're big in the roast world Mm -hmm. on top of the Rogan thing and the roast battle thing. You've also worked another and the comedy store employee thing. Another amazing um, uh, thing that you and I have in common that I don't have in common with many other people is the fact that you have also worked with the great Jeff Ross Mm -hmm. and, you know, his uh, amazing wisdom and insight on any level and especially the roast joke writing Mm -hmm. level is, you know, incredible what he can do with somebody that has a natural knack for it and be able to, you know, you sort of figure out how the whole thing works and how to put it together and a good presentation and all of these different things. Um, you have that. So yeah. you've worked with Jeff Ross and, um, you know, my point is, is you've, you had all these things, but we know you as a grinder in the real show mm-hmm. of roast battle, the Tuesday midnight, the real show, which I believe you can watch on Periscope. Yep. And it's fucking probably totally worth it to watch on Periscope, by the way, as crazy as that sounds to promote a Periscope show. I'm serious. It's if the you're only ever show that's worth watching on Periscope. Exactly. If you're up on a Tuesday at midnight on the West Coast or 3 a.m. on the East Coast and you're rolling around in bed and you can't fall asleep, turn on this fucking shit because it's funny as fuck. Our homeboy Brian Moses, another store guy through and through. Uh, created the show, and Jeff Ross is a, pretty much a regular judge and you know huge producer of it and helper of it and supporter of the roast world. Um, but there's not many roasters like us, mm. Frank. Uh, were you always making fun of people, or is this something where you saw a, more of a writing opportunity with this show? And uh, like, where do you think your roast side comes from? Uh, it definitely comes from my family. I was the younger. I was my grandmother's favorite, and I was just kind of chubby, and I was the younger yeah. of the group. And my parents were divorced. Everyone else had their parents, so yeah. like my grandma always had to watch me. So like they would always just give me shit. My cousins were all fucking rude, terrible, older assholes. But I have I a theory. I have a theory that divorces make the roaster. I don't know. I mean, and I haven't really done a lot of research on this, but like, I don't really know anybody that's a killer roaster that, whose parents are still together. Ari, are your parents still together? Mine are. How many roast Not battles? happily. How many yeah. roast battles have you done? Zero. It frightens the you shit out I'm of me. Mm-hmm. Frightens the shit out of him. His parents yeah. are together. Yeah. This is, I think, psychology 101. I'm now, sensitive. Fact, I'm I, d- I don't want to get made either. fun of. I'm sensitive. A fun fact. Let's uh, let's break it down in even another level, right? I fucking was the at the time, you know, the only store guy to break into writing on fucking Comedy Central roasts. You know, I got so far in with everything that boom, it became a thing. Before roast battle, the most watched comedy event of the year is your Comedy Central roast. It's a really big deal, at least or about once a year. It happens on Comedy Central. Everybody wants to write on the roast. It's the it's something that I fucking wanted so fucking badly and i'm still always excited when you know whatever but 
it's the dream job. It's the fucking coolest thing because you literally get to sit around with a bunch of people who forever have specialized in making fun of people. And yeah, the celebrities on those roasts have jokes written for them by professional comedians. As they should. Right. And that's how you want it. Trust me. Mm-hmm. And, um, Oh fuck! Yeah, I, I keep like being, uh, forgetting where I'm going with shit. But I was, uh, I a joint a, you, s- you smoked with me was very effective. Yeah. I remember being a door guy and being uh, I was a door guy and I got ten jokes on uh, the Bieber roast. Yeah, I didn't get ten jokes either. Uh, three of my jokes were in the top ten. Yeah, and I was like, that was just felt good. And I remember that, and I remember you know we've, I've been with you for all this, and it's uh. crazy how. Um, it's so fun to sort of like, I mean, sort of look like a, like a big brother and just get to sort yeah. of like watch you climb into these yeah. things and match up perfectly chemistry wise with these people in these situations and to be able to, you know, sort of just like exactly how I look like employees getting to do spots <laughs> and yeah. flourish here. Like it's like, you know, I sort of look at that like, wow, look, you took what was given to you. And it's I all right in that. front of you. And, oh, yeah, back to the divorcee thing. I think that, you know, roasters are built. It's a psychological fucking mm-hmm. crazy thing. Um, Jeff Ross lost his parents when he was Super extremely early. young. They both died right around each other. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know. Trauma. You're right. It's freaky. I was just talking with my friend earlier about how, uh, you know, my parents were married to other people my dad lived with a lady that he was married to and had two kids with my mom lived with her previous her husband at the time who she had four kids with so she's got four kids he's got two kids they got husbands and wives back at the place that it turns out like they're not really sleeping with but it's like old school you don't divorce but they're married to people and my mom and dad fucked for 11 years 11 years behind the other people's backs before getting pregnant with me. Super bastard, Tony Hinchcliffe. You understand? Super bastard. It's a great thing. So, and another interesting thing was that, uh, you know, to keep it secret, my mom told me that my dad's name was, uh, was Joey Smith. And, uh, <laughs> And like she gave me a fake last name and told me that the reason why I only see him once every couple weeks was that, um, you know, he does a job that's like out of town and this and that. And so I'm in like kindergarten or first grade or some crazy young shit, first, second grade maybe. And I noticed that my school bus every morning when we picked up this one kid, there was a car across the street, this like white Bronco. Yes, my dad's O.J. Simpson. Um, this white Bronco that looked just like my dad's car that I would get excited when you see it pull in the driveway. Hey, look at this. We'd eat spaghetti, coloring, coloring books, whatever. But I noticed that this car kept looking just like his. It was just a few blocks away from where we lived. So one day after school, I'm like, hey, mom, there's this uh, car that looks just like, uh, you know, whatever. Oh, you know what happened is I noticed it. And then the next time he came over, I memorized his license plate. So then the next day at school, I saw, okay, that's definitely my dad's car because I matched up the fucking, like, first grade. I'm serious. So after school, I go to my mom like, hey, I noticed this white Bronco that's across the street from Jeff Lewis's house has is dad's car. Dad's car is always parked at this one place. When I get picked up from school in the morning, I see it every day. 
And she sits me down and she explained to me everything. She's like, uh, so, you know, your dad has a different family. He's right there. They have a whole family over there. It's a whole thing. You can't tell people who your dad is because there was also some, you know, work that he was doing and that she was doing, which at the time would be considered like organized crime, running a gambling ring, sort of racketeering, Italian. You got to do what you got to do to survive. Italian shit. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Italian shit, Mexican shit. Yeah, yeah, I get it. (laughs) And so I feel like everything was sort of dumped in me at once at a very young age. And I had to start. I was living an adult life and adult secrets immediately yeah. eight nine ten eleven years old right in there i mean big time and um i mean i just have to think as a guy that looks at my silly life now and sees how desperate i am to have fun and to make jokes and make people laugh and be silly and learn and grow find out about things like operation wetback that shit's fucking crazy right mm-hmm. and um i think a lot of it comes from that like I wouldn't call it traumatizing because it ended up grow up super fast. Yeah, exactly. And I'm happy that my mom told me the truth, even though I was super young. Like I always looked at that like, well, she's probably not lying to me because she fucking told me that. You know what I mean? It immediately made our relationship so much stronger, even though we would, you know, fight relentlessly. You know, crazy mom. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a good. She was sick of it. Yeah. Me and my mom fight all the time. You the youngest. I'm the oldest. Whoa, really? Yeah. Out of how many? My mom's got two. My mom's got three total. I'm the oldest. My dad's got two. I'm the oldest. So I got a little sister that is now 17, then another little sister that's nine. Whoa. My brother at seven. Damn. What's the 17 year old like? Uh, she uh, was actually born disabled. Nice. Yeah, she was born a woman. Ooh, uh, I like that. <laughs> no, she was born disabled. She was uh, born premature. She was. She could fit in my. I think that's also what attributed to me being funny. Also, is mm-hmm. having to go through that because she was born premature, and they told us like, oh, when she was born, they're like, she's not gonna make it. They're like, she's got two weeks. Oof. So you know, you guys just you know say goodbyes, and then uh, two. The weeks whole family into, is fighters. Yeah, two weeks turn into <laughs> two yeah. weeks turn into a month, and then a month turned into six months, and a six months turned into a year. Seventeen now. Yeah, and then they told us she was like she's not gonna be able to walk, she won't be able to talk, she won't have like a like a normal life, and then like she's fucking normal as shit I mean, really she's vocally she's behind like five years but if you like text her and stuff we have full conversations we That's talk about music and stuff wow what yeah, a fucking she, yeah. miracle yeah she uh, has like a real raspy voice and stuff but like other than that she's like she runs she plays soccer wow yeah they, they were like she's not gonna be able to do any of these things and then you know she she's she's a hundred percent a miracle she hasn't complained once so like whenever i go wow. through tough stuff i always think it's like if this kid can go through all that and not complain then you know God damn, that's some powerful shit. Say your yeah, goodbyes. Man. Yeah. Wow. I remember holding her. You could, she should fit in my dad's. And there's a picture of my dad holding her, and she, he's just like this. And you, she's just, in, she's that. So the whole of her is in both hands. It's that's crazy. amazing. That's yeah. some crazy Mexican prayer shit right there. That's, uh, a, that's a Mexican old lady with a rosary uh, yeah, lighting yeah. candles and fucking. That's how you get that shit done. Uh, yeah, that's some was, Mexican shit uh, right yeah, there. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> oh, please, uh, Ave Maria. Yeah. Whatever the, the littlest anchor baby, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> but dude, I love her to death. She's fucking. She that, calls me every day and stuff. It's that nice. is so cool. Ari, what time are we at? One hour and two minutes. Boom! It's the pony hour, bitch. That's how you do it. It's a fucking hour. That's it. Hot. Dropped it. Another one. DJ Khaled. <laughs> so Frank, 
We did it. Yeah. Oh, I gotta finish one story. Yeah, go ahead. Um, after I won, that guy that bumped me or that kept bumping me, I uh, won the finals, and then we're celebrating, and he's right there with us celebrating. We're all walking over to the Mondrian. <gasps> he's walking with us in the group. Oh. We're in the back. Everyone's chanting. The my guy name. that the guy that booked you no, had no, no, you. No. The guy. The he guy, didn't book me. He said he was gonna let me pop in. And I'm not gonna say but, his but name, he, but I think I know who. But it he is. had you yeah. come out. He had you come out to the venue to work out your roast oh, jokes no, for the here. night before. He was here at the store. Right. Could have just tossed me up. But he was like, no, I'm just going to put you up for these other people. I was right. like, no, just toss me up. It's five minutes. And then he just didn't. And then, but. But he made you linger around. Yeah, yeah. So, he wasted your time where yeah. you could have done a spot somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. So the next night, you're the fucking champion. Everybody on Sunset is cheering for Frank. Now, and I'm not here, but I heard these stories dick. secondhand. Because after, you know, that was all a big Sunday. We came back from the Royal Rumble the next day. You guys, whatever happened that Sunday the night before. But let me tell you this. Every Monday is bumping here at the store. It's unbo it gets the whole fucking week kick started. Kill Tony on Mondays at eight. Tuesdays roast battles at twelve. Wednesdays are sort of chill and then boom the weekend, right? Sundays <laughs> not aren't normal that's normally the most chill night or the second chill night to a Wednesday. But I came and Mondays are bumping and I came back that next day and the, everybody looked and I, it's never been this way on a Monday. We just did 201 episodes yesterday of Kill Tony. 201 episodes. I've never been here on a Monday and seen everybody look like a zombie. Everybody was hung over. Yeah. Every fucking body. Yeah. The chef, the door guys, the cover booth girls, everybody that has anything to do with this place was hung over yeah. because Frank winning that roast battle, people, was insane. It it's was like the out Super Bowl. Out of Trump winning the election, out of the Cubs coming back to win game seven and break the curse, out of the Cavs in an unheard of NBA position coming back from three to one against the number one team of the regular season, out of, there was a fucking another one recently, right? Something else just fucking happened. Of course Alabama loses in the <laughs> championship. Of course. What the fuck was the most recent? There was Oh my god, fucking 28 nothing or whatever I walked in oh, the yeah. fucking Super Bowl was. Yeah. I walked into this party. I landed from wherever. I go to this Super Bowl party. I think it was 28 to 3, 26 to 3, whatever the fucking biggest lob side of the game was. That's when I walked in and there was something in the fucking air, man, because this is the storyline. Everything is so storyline now. It's insane. Mm -hmm. How the fuck out of all the fucking games, how do they do that? And they did everything that they had to do to come back and win. And I'm telling you, for anybody that has anything to do with the comedy store, Frank winning that roast battle was that for us in a big way. Yeah. Everybody was hung over that Monday. People were chanting my name in the back when I was taking shots. I will never, ever. It was the home like team winning. It was it the was home crazy. team. Yeah. I got to see the 24 hours later at the on that Monday night. I got to see yeah. you and everybody. And it was just everybody was still having fun. But yeah. everybody you could tell it was the continuation. It was like oh, fear yeah. and loathing at the comedy Dude, store. Because it was like a solid four days because that yeah. Tuesday night, that roast battle, because it was the thing. It was like champions on Sunday, Monday's party, Tuesday, right back in it again. Yeah. It was crazy. I have a blurry picture on on my phone of you drinking uh, Jack and Coke out of one of those big uh, oh, pour yeah. things because the bartenders were still celebrating and trying to keep you drunk. Okay, so we're at the night. You just won the championship, and uh, you're 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 walking out of the House of Blues. Everybody's a big entourage. Everybody's chanting your name. You're going to the after party, and you see the guy that didn't put you up the night yeah, before. Yeah, and he's 
drinking the free alcohol, <laughs> the beer that's for everybody in the show. And, you know, he's hanging out with us. He's in the picture that we post on Instagram. Ugh. We go to the back bar. Everyone's chatting my name. He's there again. Just And it's fine. And I yeah. know that about him now. And it's great. But it's just like, you could have just put me out. And what's great is <laughs> that you didn't do anything. He doesn't know that you think that way. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's like. That's how it works in this business. And that's an interesting thing for people to hear is like you don't always know what bridge you burned or who's not taking you seriously. I used to run a really shitty show at the Hooters on Hollywood Boulevard. I don't know. Do you ever do it, Frank? Yeah. So, yeah, I used to do. I started that three years ago. And one guy, this guy comes in. He says, hey, I'm doing Letterman tomorrow, whatever, a late night Fallon tomorrow. Can I do a spot? But I didn't know who he was. And the lineup was full. And I was just like, ah, sorry, it's full, dude. And that turned out to be Nate Bargatze. I said no to Nate Bargatze on a shitty Hooter show like three years ago. He doesn't remember. I know he doesn't remember. It doesn't matter. But I think about that now. I'm like, man, I should just let people go up. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you know. Yeah, you you got to feel it out. Yeah. But thank you so much, Tony. You've mentored me so much and really helped me. And, uh, dude, I'm very stoked to be going on this part of uh, going on this journey, you know, and having – you know, an older brother like you and all the guys. Well, this is what we do. It's one of the exciting things. You know, I don't have kids and I don't. And, you know, my nephews are back over in uh, in Youngstown and everybody's grown up anyway. And this is sort of in a weird way. It's sort of my favorite thing as far as uh, uh, whatever is to get to grow with people and watch them, you know, get to do and get good at and get better at and find their calling and find their little spots. You know what I mean? Like some people are roasters. Some people are great producers. And then these things all go different directions and insane places. That could be fucking Larry David sitting right there with that headset on. You never know. I'm pointing at Ari Manis. It could be the Larry David of the future. You know, you just don't a little know anti-Semitic, who and what but okay. and where we're all going and the paths and the fun, and it's all crazy fun. And I hope that uh, you guys enjoyed listening to Frank Castillo. He's at, uh, what is it, Frank Castillo? Uh, Frank C. Comedy uh, on Yahoo. Or, uh, yeah, that's my email. On Twitter, and then Frank Ooh. Castillo on Instagram. You can email him directly at frankccomedy <laughs> at yahoo.com. You heard it here, the exclusive. I'm going to send him a low he, he gives his Twitter and his Instagram out on every podcast. <laughs> Only here on the Pony Hour do you find his uh, real email. That's operationwetback at yahoo.com. <laughs> Ari Manis, uh, what's going on? Check me out. I'm touring a lot this month. You know, I'll be yeah. in Montana. I'll be in Atlanta. AriManis.com. We're going to find some dates for you to uh, come with me at some point. And uh, yeah, we're going to work that out. We have to figure out what's coming up here. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of crazy dates and uh, that I'm going on for sure That uh, in which they don't give me a budget for an opener. Some of these places. Wow. Not yet. Not you know yet. What? One day. Yeah. I have my own budget now. Oh, so you'll go places? Is that That's, true? No, I've literally been telling every headliner, like, oh. wherever you take me, like, I will, if I have to pay my own way. I will do that. I was like, because I just need to make the relationships in the time. Well, that's the way to do it. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be in Madison, Wisconsin this week. I love Madison. I'm excited to be at Comedy Club on State. That's all there. Stanford and Sons is coming up uh, two weeks. Buffalo, or no, Seneca Niagara Casino, April 6th. So if you live in Toronto, why not make a little 45-minute drive to Niagara? It's been a long time since I've been in Toronto, and I love you guys. So make a little drive. Come see me at Niagara Falls. That's April 6th, Thursday night. 
then I'm uh, going to the UFC, having some fun there. Kill Tony and so many other fun things are coming up. Moon Tower Comedy Festival. Check out Kill Tony there. That's April 21st. Two nights later, we're in Houston, Texas. Kill Tony at the Secret Group. We just sold out. Kill Tony just sold out this huge venue, The Secret Group, which is this awesome place in Houston, Texas. We sold it out six, seven months ago. Guess what? We're coming back April 23rd. We're going to do it again. Kill Tony will be uh, uh, the next night as well. Here, every Monday night, we do that show. Going to Portland with Joe Rogan on 420. That's our probably already sold out. Funny Bone Comedy Club. I'm announcing this one right now. Albany, New York. Um, opening up for Metallica and other great brands at a mm-hmm. soccer stadium in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> May 19th. How about that? A fucking soccer stadium. The Columbus Crew Stadium. Fucking Metallica. Crazy. Um, And other fun things coming up. Houston, Texas. Maybe that's one. Maybe that's one. Comedy Zone, Jacksonville, Florida in June. Look at all these dates stacking up. Hartford, Connecticut. Fort Worth, Texas. Yep. Charlotte, North Carolina in August. La Jolla in August. Whoa, look at that. August 11th and 12th, exclusive breaking news. I'm going back to one of my favorite places in the world, La Jolla. Let's sell this bitch out, and let's add a couple shows. That's what I want to do. Sell it out before, and then they just do three shows Friday, three shows Saturday. Oh, what? Ask for a raise. Let's do this. We're all go. How about that? You guys want to do La Jolla August 11th and 12th? It's a plan. Great. You guys are in. Uh, TonyHinchcliffe.com for all those dates and other things and uh, or stay on the lookout for some of those later dates. Everything else is good. Thank you for listening to The Pony Hour. Please rate and review and subscribe to our podcast. Do cool things for us. Please give it back. Yeah. Show us some love. Hell yeah. And we love you. Stay golden. This has been The Pony Hour. I'm Tony Hinchcliffe. Enjoy the rest of your day. Stay positive. Learn something. Frank Castillo, take us out. Kill your masters. Yeah, do it. Run the jewels. Go listen to them right now. Stay inspired. Goodbye.